G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. God wants us to be a blessing, not a burden, mind you, a blessing to the people around us. And there are some amazing ways to be that blessing, none more amazing than the blessing of grace. Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're heading into the final message in this series called, Are You a Blessing or a Burden? With some more rubber-hits-the-road teaching on how you can be the one and not the other. So let's do it. Let's head into the Word of God, and whatever you do, stay tuned, because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you how you can receive Christianity Works free daily devotional. It's called Fresh, and it's all about helping you get deeper into the Word and draw closer to Jesus. Now, you don't have to be an accomplished coach or player or tactician to figure out that the team that's in conflict is most unlikely to win the game. And while you may not be a member of a sporting team, there are plenty of other teams that we're all members of. Our family, our workplace, our church, our our social group. Because as social beings, as social creatures, we organise ourselves to work together to achieve some common goals or outcomes as a team. And, And that's how it should be. But sometimes, boys and girls, we don't play that nicely together, do we? We behave a little like two-year-olds fighting over a toy or competing for our mother's attention or arguing over who got more ice cream in their bowl than the next one. It's true, isn't it? It's amazing the capacity that we supposedly mature adults have when we get together to behave like children. Arguing, squabbling, comparing, competing. He got more than me. That's not fair. She didn't play fair. And on it goes. Why does that happen? Well, the more we have, the more we want to have, and the more individualistic rather than collective or team-based our perspective becomes. It's quite a global trend. So now everybody's clamouring for recognition, for reward, for attention, for position, for all those things that an individual wants over and above what the team needs. Politics can be a tough game, but when we take it into the workplace, for instance, it gets very grubby very quickly. I was talking to a young woman working for a large corporation the other day. She has a boss who isn't really that much across the detail of the job. So every time there's some problem, he calls her and asks her to fix it, even when she's overseas on a holiday. But then, wait for this, this boss takes the success and sells it as his up the line to his superiors as something that he himself did without ever giving her the recognition that she deserves. I mean, she fixed the problem again. And secondly, she did it in the middle of the night from another country while she was on holidays. Backstabbing, complaining, griping, disunity, laziness, they're all rife in the workplace and they're the signs of a dysfunctional team where the individuals are more interested in what they can get out of it instead of what they can give to the team. How can you and I be a blessing in that environment? 
easy by being a team player, by taking the lead, whatever our position may or may not formally be, boss, worker, it doesn't really matter, and bringing the team together. About oh, 3,000 years ago, Israel had a king by the name of David. He wrote a lot of poetry and songs called Psalms. One of the Psalms he wrote was Psalm 133. It starts out like this in verse 1. How very pleasant it is when we live together in unity, like brothers and sisters. Hey, he got that one right. Unity is a lot more fun than disunity. You and I can decide whatever the politics other people are playing, however badly they're behaving, I'm just going to be a team player. I'm going to get in there and not just do my best to get my bit of the puzzle done, but I'm going to work with others and help them to get theirs done as well. It's not so much about me winning the game of politics, it's about me contributing to the overall outcome. See, this is a hard decision that steps out of the competitive game of politics and focuses on the objective. It means not getting our way some of the time. It means supporting and encouraging other people and helping them to succeed. Now, you see, this this takes a lot of guts to do when there's conflict all around. As a consultant over a period of about 20 years, I've worked in over 300 organisations, large and small, government and private, east and west, you name it, I've been there, and almost always there was conflict. My mentor, Graham, taught me to be aware of the politics, but never to become part of the game, to be the honest broker in every situation. have to tell you, As a consultant, you're tempted to play the politics because you can feather your own nest. You can get more work and more money. But Graham, who was our managing director of the consulting firm, insisted that we wouldn't go down that path. I was really fortunate to benefit from his wisdom because the outcome was that sometimes we didn't get as much consulting work as we may have on that job. But the firm under his leadership gained a reputation as being honest brokers, trustworthy and hardworking. When we'd bid for new work, we gave existing clients as referees, and that's what they told our prospective clients. That one thing, in the end, won us more business than just about anything else. The simple act of being a team player. Whatever team you're involved in, remember, it's so much more fun when we play nicely together. How very pleasant it is when we live together in unity, like brothers and sisters. Come on, at the end of the day, most people will end up respecting you. Why? Because it's an incredible blessing to have a true team player on your team. And those who don't respect you, they were never worth it in the first place. Being a team player is a huge blessing. That, of course, doesn't mean that it'll always be sweeteners and light, a bed of roses, peaches and cream. Conflicts happen. But there's an incredibly positive side of conflict if it's handled the right way. Back to the wisdom of God through the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. In other words, when we do rub each other up the wrong way, which happens, it just does, then we can learn out of that conflict. When someone criticizes us, we can learn something about them, and quite likely, something about us. When someone sees something from a different perspective to us, and so they want to head off in way another direction... It may not be the right direction. We might still have to haul them back in. But it can spark a new idea. It can show us the creativity that they have in their hearts that we could tap into. And it can tell us something about our own shortcomings and narrowness of view sometimes. Handling the conflict in the right way, respectfully, for the good of the team, for the good of the outcome, can be a huge part of being a team player. The next time you find yourself in a team that's in conflict, here's the challenge, here's the encouragement, here's what God has to say in his word. 
how very pleasant it is when we live together in unity like brothers and sisters. You have the ability, you have the creativity, you have the heart to figure out how you can be the agent of teamwork, how what you do can bring the team together rather than tearing the team apart. And if you're one of God's people, if you've got a heart and a passion for Jesus Christ, hey, this is one of the ways that you can shine his love and his light into the people's lives around you. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional with a powerful scripture verse and some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by at ChristianityWorks.com and you'll see the Fresh devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. Or if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1300 722 415 to request the printed Fresh devotional. It's completely up to you. That's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1300-722-415. So go ahead, sign up to receive fresh, and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through His Word. Okay, so let's dive straight back into God's Word. And do you want to hear a shocking statistic about war? Way back during World War I, whilst many, many people were killed, only about 5% of the casualties were civilian non-combatants. But in the 50 or so wars going on at the moment, some 75% of casualties are innocent civilians. And that kind of mirrors the conflict we experience in our lives. Because in a sense... The collateral damage of our arguments and our conflicts is something we don't take into account. We imagine a husband and wife fighting like cat and dog doesn't really impact anyone else. Well, actually it does. It profoundly impacts their children. I remember being told once by a woman who'd left her husband, she thought that after all that everything would be sweetness and light. But she said to me, I just didn't realise how many people would be so deeply affected by our separation. And for her... It's an effect that goes on still today, many, many years later. In a world full of imperfect people, conflict is inevitable. If each one of us were perfect, there wouldn't be any need for conflict. But we're not, and so there is. Because when we're impacted by someone else's failings, what we need to do is to establish boundaries. And boundaries, after all, physical, social, ethnic, religious, moral, uh, emotional, boundaries are what warfare is all about. It happens on a macro scale in wars between nations or ethnic groups, and it happens on a micro scale in conflicts between individuals and small groups of people too. See, it's all about setting boundaries, claiming the prize, whatever that happens to look like. In short, conflict is about winning. And often, it has nothing to do with right and wrong, just winning. That's pretty sad, especially if we think about the extent to which we behave that way. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. It's honourable to refrain from strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. We think sometimes that walking away from a fight is a sign of weakness. 
But actually, according to God's word, it's a sign of honour and wisdom. The smartest way that you and I can make peace is putting an end to an argument before it even starts. Here it is again in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so stop before the quarrel breaks out. Peace is an awesome thing, and when we know that we're walking into a minefield, sometimes we need to proactively plan for peace. One of the things that I do is I think about how things are likely to unfold. Maybe I know someone's got a totally different view of the world to me, and and I know they're angry and they're upset and there's tension, whatever it is. So, So what I do is I assemble the facts in my mind. I go over them, I think them through, and then I think about the conflict that's coming up and I put deliberate plans into place to deal with the conflict. Maybe the first thing I need to do in this meeting is just let them blow off their steam. Then maybe I need to ask them some questions to find out what's driving them, what's motivating them, and then come up with some sensible solutions that meet their needs, but also head things in the right direction. An army going into a military campaign plans its engagement with the enemy battle by battle. That makes a lot of sense. And so it also makes sense that any peacemaker going into a battle to make peace should plan how they're going to achieve that peace. Here's another brilliant piece of wisdom about being a peacemaker from Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. So to do evil, to do battle, you have to plan it. See what it said? Those who devise evil. And to have peace, you have to plan that deliberately as well. Look at it. Those who plan for peace. Let's read it again. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan for peace have joy. It's true. When a truce is declared, when when the war is over, there's dancing in the streets, there's dancing for joy, and that's what being a peacemaker is all about. Is it scary sometimes? Sure it is. Do you end up in the firing line? Do people misunderstand your motives when you go into a battle to be a peacemaker? My experience? All the time. But it's worth it. Because when you've contributed through peacemaking to the peace that's breaking out, that is just the best feeling on this earth. Where's the conflict in your life right now? To what extent is that conflict being fueled by your desire simply to win, irrespective of the rights and wrongs of the conflict? And what could you do right now to bring about a lasting peace? I know this requires a lot of soul-searching. God didn't say this was going to be easy. Letting go of deceit and devising evil and replacing it with planning for peace can be really hard. I know that sometimes making peace requires a huge sacrifice. But a good many of the things we end up in conflict over, come on, they simply aren't worth the effort. So many trivial things tear people and relationships apart. What would our world look like? What would your world look like if we were prepared to concede on the ones that don't matter and find creative, mutually beneficial and rewarding solutions to the conflicts that do matter? What would your world look like, your family, your relationships, your workplace, if you stood up with the courage to be a peacemaker. Making peace doesn't always mean caving in. Making peace is something that a wise person does by guiding a conflict to a good conclusion. And at the end of the day, people will look at that peacemaker and say what a blessing he or she was, because deep down, they seriously want some peace. But there's, there's one more dimension to peacemaking that we often overlook. It's not just about being smart. See, there's a spiritual dimension. God loves peace. 
God's in the peace business. He's in the reconciliation business. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you and me, to end hostilities between him and us. And Jesus said this about peacemakers, men and women with the courage to stick their necks out to proactively make peace. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. That's a pretty big statement to be called the children of God. That's saying that when we step up to being the peacemaker, we're just like our dad, our father in heaven, who would spare not even the life of his son in order to bring a lasting peace. So God loves peace and he wants to bring peace into our lives. How do we lay hold of that God-given peace? Here it is. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. We lay hold of God's peace by honouring God. When a man's ways please the Lord, God himself makes even this man's enemies to be at peace with him. Everything we are and everything we have and every hope and every dream, when we lay that at God's feet, when we honour him with our all, when we throw everything, the whole lot into the ring, and honour God through our faith in Jesus Christ, through our thoughts and through our actions, God responds to that. God brings peace. So much happens in the spiritual realm. So much of the the conflict going on in our lives is the spiritual outworking of our sin, of our dishonouring God. Friend, sin has consequences, and one of those is conflict. I believe God wants us to lay hold of his peace, because when we do, we become the ultimate peacemakers. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. One of the most powerful ways that you can share the life-changing love of God through Jesus Christ is to be a blessing to others. Now, that's an easy concept to pull up next to, but actually doing that, actually being that blessing, especially in those difficult relationships, well, that can be a whole lot harder. And that's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet. It's called Three Ways to Be a Blessing, and it's full of life-changing, practical Bible teaching to help you be the blessing of God in someone else's life. To request your copy, stop by ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 and I'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. But this is the very last week that this particular booklet will be available, so don't miss out. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Okay, let's get back now into the Word to see what else God has for us. We can't talk about being a team player and being a peacemaker and being more of a blessing than a burden without discussing the subject of grace. But what does it mean to be gracious? Well, it means to be courteous and kind and pleasant, especially towards someone who's of a lower social status than you. That sounds easy enough, but in fact it's much harder to achieve than we might have thought. Here's why. By and large, in our relationships with other people, we operate on an understanding of a bilateral contract. Here's what I mean by that. Contracts between parties, be they companies or individuals, set out the responsibility of each party towards the other. 
So, party A is responsible for doing these things. Party B is responsible for doing those things. And if party A stops doing the things it's contractually responsible to do, party B has certain remedies, which include being released from its responsibilities to party A. And, of course, vice versa. That's pretty much how every contract works. It's a bilateral, two-directional, conditional contract because it has mutual obligations on both parties. And whether you've ever thought about it or not, that's pretty much the mindset with which we approach most, if not all, of our relationships. Marriage, friendship, at work. I'll do A, B and C so long as you do X, Y and Z. But if you don't, I won't. No one argues with the logic, although they often argue over their contracts. But this approach has a fundamental flaw. None of us is perfect, so everyone is always going to fall short of their contractual conditions or obligations, implied or otherwise. It's an everyday occurrence. And when people fall short of our expectations, hey, we react. Sometimes we get angry, hurt, disappointed, resentful. And in response, we withdraw from our responsibilities. Have you done this? It's, it's this contract mentality. Well, they're not meeting their end, so I'm going to stop doing my bit. They, in turn, get angry or hurt or disappointed or resentful towards us. So they, in turn, step back and withdraw from their responsibilities. And so, in turn, we react. And there's this ever-downward spiral in the relationship. It's like a death of a thousand cuts. You've seen it. You've experienced it. So have I. It's probably happening to you right now in some relationship, maybe even in several of your relationships. We're all imperfect. We all are. We're always going to fall short of our bilateral contract. And I'm not talking about there being a formal contract. We just have this mindset in our relationship with others. So I'm going to fall short in my relationship with you, and you are going to fall short in your relationship with me. So now, because we have this bilateral conditional contract mentality, what are we going to do about it? Enter the solution. Grace. Grace is a profoundly different type of contract because instead of being bilateral, conditional on what the other party does, it's bizarrely unilateral, one-directional. The contract of grace says, I will do this if, well, if, if nothing. I'll just do this, full stop, end of story. Whatever you do, I'll still be doing what I promised. When you think about it, that's exactly what the marriage contract is supposed to be. And it's the couples who start treating marriage as a conditional bilateral contract who end up in the divorce courts. By living as a person of grace, by determining to swim against the tide and live the unilateral, one-way, unconditional relationship type of contract, rather than the standard but deeply flawed bilateral, two-way, conditional relationship contract, we all of a sudden become an amazing blessing to the people around us. Because when they fail, we're not withdrawing from our relationship responsibilities, and so we're not escalating the conflict. The Apostle Paul, a couple of thousand years ago, wrote this to his friends in a city called Corinth. He said, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Just think about that. What if you and I were to excel in the act of grace? What if you and I were naturally gracious, forgiving, tolerant, accommodating, kind, generous to the people who, surprise, surprise, are constantly falling short of our expectations and our needs? What a brilliant concept. 
excelling in grace. Well, just, just let that sink in for a moment. Paul actually wrote this thing in the context of raising some money for some people who were starving down in Jerusalem, people who the Corinthians really didn't get on with that well, but who were living through a famine. It's very much at the heart of the definition of unconditional love, grace. And he's saying, excel in this. So imagine the Corinthians, they excel in grace, they give the money, the people starving in Jerusalem receive the money, get the food, fill their bellies, and then they discover it all came from those people down there in Corinth who they didn't really like. What do you reckon that does to the relationship between the folk in Corinth and the folk in Jerusalem? changes everything. It restores, it builds up, it tears down the barrier, it opens the hearts and the minds, it does what grace always does, it brings people closer together. Excel in acts of grace because grace is one of the most amazing blessings you can give. Why? By definition, grace can only be grace when it's undeserved. And anyone who receives the blessing of grace, a blessing they don't deserve, is forever changed. That's how grace works. God gets that. That's why the only way we can enter into a personal, eternal relationship with him is through his unilateral, one-way, unconditional contract of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your own works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. As I said right up front, rules, God's holiness and perfection, start out being bad news. It's his grace that turns it around to being good news. And the expectations we have of others, for them, is bad news. Only our grace, alive and flowing out of our hearts, makes it good news to them. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for today. But before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to have a rich, powerful, dynamic relationship with Jesus. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give towards the Ministry of Christianity Works today will help reach almost 3,000 people with a gospel message. So a gift of, say, $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift to Christianity Works today. You can do that right now, securely online at ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1-300-722-415. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Hey, thanks so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. Catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.